Thanks for listening to the Dear Exiles podcast. This message was originally preached to City Church in downtown Iowa City on January 16th, 2022. But your loyal love, Lord, extends to the skies. Your faithfulness reaches the clouds. Your righteousness is like the strongest mountains. Your justice is like the deepest sea. Lord, you save both people and animals. Your faithful love is priceless, God. People find refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the bounty of your house. You let them drink wine from your river of pure joy. Within you is the spring of life. In your light, we see light. Spread your faithful love over those who know you. Extend your righteousness to those whose heart is right. I'm going to come back to this passage in just a moment. Did anyone figure out if this is Psalm 35 or 36? 36. All right. Well, we all know it's January, right? And what is one of the most common New Year's resolutions for Americans? Anyone think they know? Lose weight, get in shape, right? Exercise more. Um, And maybe this is because Americans kind of pack on the pounds during the holidays, Uh, but it also might have to do with the fact that like every time you walk into a store, all the yoga mats and all the workout clothes are like right near the entrance and um, there are deals on treadmills and that sort of thing. So consumer culture is kind of pushing everybody this way too. And because of this, so many Americans, I think they just, they jump on the exercise bandwagon, but I think we probably know from like personal experience and from our friends' experiences that a lot of people fall off that exercise bandwagon pretty quickly, right? And uh, pretty soon that plan just doesn't work out. And often that's true because the cares of life just get in the way, right? You know, maybe you have children and you have to stay up late helping with homework, and that makes the 5 a.m. wake-up time for boot camp, you know, not uh, very workable. Or, you know, work and school obligations pile up, and we feel overwhelmed, and the first thing to go is the exercise plan. Um, I think a lot of Americans are like, we go through life with this vague awareness, at least that exercise is a good thing, that the intangible benefits, like better heart health and stronger bones and muscles and weight maintenance, these would be good for our overall health, um, but that those benefits are just, they're so unseen. They're so slow in developing that it's really hard to put in the daily effort or the many times a week effort when the demands of our work or our family or other obligations or even our other interests just ring so loudly in our ears. Um, not having time was listed as the number one reason Americans don't exercise, not having time. But we all know Americans have as much time as anybody else, right? So the reality is we just choose what we fill our time with, and we we choose it to fill it with things that are more pressing. This is not a sermon about exercise, just so you know, guys. I'm getting somewhere. Um, But when we have so many other pressing things in our lives, exercise or a schedule for exercise can start to just feel almost irrelevant, right? Like unimportant, uh, um, missing the point of these other important things that we have going on. And I think the same feelings that Americans have toward exercise are very similar to how many Christians feel about prayer and think about prayer. Um, This month we're talking about opening to God and opening to God as a form of prayer, learning how to be silent with God 
to be receptive to him, to be discerning of his voice. And we may live our lives with some kind of vague uh, idea that uh, opening ourselves to God is supposedly a good thing to do, that there might be some uh, unseen and intangible benefit promised down the road if we were to do this, but we may not necessarily feel that pausing for 15 minutes today a couple times here and there is is really going to be that helpful to us. We might just see it as a hindrance to our productivity or our workflow or the other things we want to do. Um, the late Catholic priest, Father Tom Green, he wrote about how many people think about this. They ask this question about the relevance, like the quote-unquote relevance of this type of prayer to their lives of faith. Perhaps people think, you know, can't we grow in our faith just by, you know, firing off a few prayer, prayer needs or concerns to God on our way to work as we're falling asleep at night? Can't we grow in our faith by just going to church on Sundays or tithing to the church and giving to those in need instead of setting aside time specifically to do this thing my pastor and other people talk about called opening to God and silent prayer? Like, shouldn't we just instead be doing God's work in the world, like focusing on social justice and righting wrongs and meeting the pressing needs and maybe I just need to put food on the table for my kids, you know? Somebody's got to make a meal. But Father Green said that asking about that relevance of this kind of extended quiet life of prayer uh, is really missing the point of God's desire for a relationship with us and the, the work that he wants to do in us. And he said the best answer to this question about the relevance of this type of prayer life would be the analogy of a love relationship between a husband and a wife. So if you think about it, at the beginning of a marriage, um, a husband and wife, they spend a lot of time together, listening, talking, sharing feelings, being with each other. And in a healthy marriage, as their love deepens and grows, they develop history with each other, uh, as they mature as people, as their love matures. In the meantime, they may produce children. And their stable, loving relationship uh, may contribute good to their neighbors and to their community and to extended relatives and to their children's schools and sports teams. But if the wife came home one day and she said to her husband, what exactly is the relevance of our love for each other? I mean, like, we can be functioning and contributing members of society and raise our children to do the same. So is nurturing our love really relevant anymore? Is there a point to this? Do we really need date night? Do we really need to set time aside for each other? Now, we hopefully in this room, we all hear this as absurd, right? Because the wife in the story is reducing a loving relationship to something that is utilitarian or a means to an end. And it doesn't take into account the fact that God has wired us for loving relationships with each other and that there's an incredible intangible value in loving relationships. And in the same way that God's wired us for loving, uh, in the same way as that analogy, God's wired us for a loving relationship with God's own self. So the point of prayer is not to manipulate God or try to convince him to do the things that we want him to do. The point of prayer is not to just quickly present our list of requests like a letter to Santa Claus 
The point of prayer is to open ourselves to God so we can know God with our hearts and so that we can be available, so we can be paying attention to the ways that God wants to disclose himself to us. Prayer is not to be used. It's to be lived, Father Green wrote. Now, this scripture that we read today, it points to that truth. Um, Jesus also taught his disciples a model of prayer. He, you know, all of us have heard the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, right? So Jesus taught them a model prayer because they said, how should we pray? Teach us how to pray. But he also taught them and modeled to them a life of prayer, a life of opening to God that extended far beyond the recitation of two very complex sentences, which I was surprised to find out those were just two sentences in the Lord's Prayer. Um, But Jesus spent time in solitude with God. And even before Jesus in the scriptures, we see that there are others who understood that opening to God was something God designed human beings for, that we're made for encounter with God, and that we're made for experiencing the delight of his presence. And our psalm today, Psalm 36, is attributed to the Israelite King David who wrote worship songs in his free time. He wrote worship songs to God, among other things. And he's a person who exhibited through his worship this experiential relationship with God that brought him refreshment and it brought him delight. In the latter half of this psalm, we see so many words that imply sensory experience, um, which are really the best metaphors that David can use to describe his experience of God. Um, In verses 8 through 10, he says, People feast on the bounty of your house. You let them drink from your river of pure joy. In your light, we see light. These metaphors of taste and sound and sight are connected with metaphors of like bountiful storehouses and pantries and rivers and springs of refreshing water and the illumination of the sun. And the operating emotion here that he's conjuring is delight. It's joy. And I wonder if you could just take a moment right where you are to think about the last time you could say you experienced unadulterated joy, that you just experienced pure joy. It's actually hard for me to come up with that memory. And, and I'll tell you why it's hard, because so many of my joyful moments are tinged with something else. Some of my joyful moments are tinged with the ache of nostalgia. Like there's something from the past that isn't here in this joyful moment that I wish was here. A person, maybe, or an experience that's not part of it. Um, and sometimes I experience joy with a little bit of sorrow because I know that this moment's going to pass. Right? I know that the circumstance is going to change. Um, I felt that way the whole year. My daughter was finishing high school. Um, I feel this way every spring when the tulips bloom in my yard because I know my time to enjoy them is so short. A recent memory, though, of what I did think was pure joy, or I think came close to it, was what I felt back in the late spring of 2021, which is so crazy to think we're in 2022, you guys. It just seems nuts. But like eight months ago, four-fifths of my family was vaccinated. We've been waiting a really long time for a vaccine. 
Uh, we've been waiting a really long time practicing social distancing and wearing our masks and doing online church. And I remember what it felt like when events started happening again and, and what it felt like to be in the presence of people. And I felt something totally unexpected. I felt this euphoria, like this body joy, um, this illogical emotion um, that I had in response to just being in the presence of like people's crinkling eyes. And that made me know that they were smiling under their mask or like their warm voices that weren't interrupted with someone saying, you're, you know, on mute. Can you please unmute yourself? <laughs> you know, like. It was just so amazing. It was joy in the presence of people. And you and I, we are made to experience that kind of joy, but like a hundred times better in the presence of God. We are wired and designed to drink from a river of delight in God's presence. It's not just David's poetry that suggests this either. I mean, it's Jesus himself when he talks to a Samaritan woman at a well in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, he says, everyone who drinks this water, this well water, will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in those who drink it a spring of water that bubbles up to eternal life. Now, Jesus is, of course, speaking in metaphor right now. Like, he, we know that literally there's not going to be a spring of water that comes up from our bellies. We would call that acid reflux, right? Like, that's what we would say. But this is the kind of language that we use. It's the closest thing we can get to, to describing what it would be like to experience the presence of God. We don't have better language to describe this. This thing that we can't touch with our hands or see with our eyes, but we experience it with our hearts. And this is the gift that God wants to give us, the refreshment of his spirit, the refreshment of his presence, the joy of being in it as we open ourselves to him and grow to know him better. Prayer is not to be used, it's to be lived. In the 14th century, a 30-year-old woman named Julie Ann was on her deathbed. Maybe you've heard of her. The Black Plague had arrived in her English city of Norwich when she was about six years old. And historians think that Julianne, by the time she was 30 and on her deathbed, had been widowed and lost her children to the plague. So as she's laying dying, a priest came to her to give her her last rites. And this priest showed her an image of Christ. Um, I don't know if it was like a little engraving or if it was a drawing. Um, but when the priest left, as she lay there still thinking she was dying, she uh, was, went on to be miraculously healed. And as she lay there, God gave her 16 visions, these like ecstatic experiences. And then she devoted the rest of her life to prayer and to contemplation and to writing about these visions that she had. This is Julianne of Norwich, if you've ever heard of her. Um, 15 years, though, after this miraculous healing and after these supernatural visions, she said that God began to reveal to her the relevance of these visions, like the point of them. And um, this is what she wrote. And she wrote it kind of in a dialogical style. She said, would you learn to see clearly your Lord's meaning in this thing? 
learn it well. Love was his meaning. Love was the meaning behind the visions. Who showed it to you? Love. Why did he show it to you? For love. Thus she said, I was taught that love was our Lord's meaning. It was all for love that he revealed himself. You know, if we are asking, like uh, people have asked before, if a life of prayer and opening ourselves to God is relevant or useful in the worldly sense of economy and productivity, or even in the Christian sense of uh, prioritizing good works, then our answer would have to be no. Like, it's not that relevant. A life of prayer and opening ourselves to God is totally irrelevant to those things on the surface. Because a love relationship with God, it can never be utilitarian. It can never be a means to an end. Um, Might your productivity change or increase as you grow in your love for God? It might, but it also might decrease. Because you might find out that you can rest a little bit more in your life because you've experienced the love of God and you don't feel driven as much as you used to. Might your good works increase or change as you grow in your love for God? Maybe. Maybe so. But that's not the point of opening ourselves to God, right? The entire point is for love. It's for a love relationship with God so you and I uh, can open ourselves to him to be continually transformed by his love. And it's really from that place that we love others well, that they really experience the profound love of God. And love is everything, isn't it? I mean, love and grace changes everything. This is the story of the gospel that God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. So that anyone who just recognized that Jesus came in the name of the Father and that Jesus represented the Father wouldn't perish in darkness and ignorance and distance from God, but instead uh, be able to have refreshing life in God, would have the opportunity to open and receive God's love. God's love is a thing that we really need most in the world. It's the antidote to evil. It's the thing that makes all of our problems more bearable. It makes all of our hard work more tolerable. It gives us perspective on what's most important when we're disappointed by circumstances and people. When we know that we are loved and we know the author of love, it changes everything. As you um, might have noticed if we got up close, I had this freak household accident this week that involved getting my head smashed in a sliding glass door and its door frame, uh, which resulted in a concussion, um, a super random accident I can tell you about later if you're interested, but my whole family was there when this happened. And what I experienced in response to my injury was this outpouring of love. Uh, Love from my dog, who heard me cry and like came running to me and sat by my side. Um, Love from my husband, who put his arm around me when I was like bent over on the carpet crying. Um, Love from someone who got an ice pack and a towel. Love from someone else who scheduled a doctor appointment for me. Um, Love from someone else who volunteered to warm up the rest of my dinner for me. Um, Love from someone else who tried to cheer me up by saying, aren't you glad I didn't get your nose, right? Um, But what if I lived in a household where there was no love? Like, what if 
that I had that happen and everyone looked up from their phones for a minute and shrugged and went back to TikTok or whatever, it would be awful to live in a world without love, even though we can't prove it or touch it or smell it or see it. And God's love is so much greater than that. It's a bomb to our pain, our loneliness, but it's also our connection to pure love and delight and joy. Human love is its always going to have its limits. Human love is always going to disappoint us and let us down at some point from even the most well-meaning people, even the people who know God's love. They're not perfect. But the love of God will never, ever disappoint us. And we're really meant to experience that by opening ourselves to him in prayer. Some of you might be sitting here and you might be thinking like, well, fine, I'm convinced, Heather, so how do I start, right? What if nothing happens? What if I open myself and I pause for 15 minutes and I feel absolutely nothing? What if I don't have 16 visions? What if I don't experience anything like you've ever talked about, Heather? Well, I just want to comfort you ahead of time and prepare you by saying you're not going to experience any of that Um, because your experience of God is going to be completely unique to your relationship with God. God is going to encounter you in ways that are unique to you and to his relationship with you. He's going to speak to you through the language of metaphors that you relate to and understand and that are important in your life and symbols that are important in your life. And my guess is that if you are a beginner at opening to God in prayer, you're going to have some experiences early on where you taste just enough of this joy that we're talking about and this presence of God that we're talking about that your heart will begin to crave and desire more. And when you notice a craving, when you notice a desire, I just want you to be aware that that in itself is a work of God. Like that is a gift from God to draw us to him. And so um, pay attention to that. Don't take it for granted. And my prediction is that over time, if you spend many days and weeks and years of practicing, opening to God in prayer, and responding to the craving that you have to draw near to God, you are going to have a lot of dry days. And you are going to have days where you don't feel like you got refreshed by a spring of water. Um, But you're going to have days where you you do. And you're going to start to develop this history with God, this history of tasting and seeing, as the psalm says, that the Lord is good. And you're going to begin to know him better and better. And as you know God better and better, you're actually going to be able to know yourself better. We're going to actually see our virtues and our vices a little more clearly, like our propensities for good and for bad a little more clearly as we're connected to love. But first, we really have to be able to bring ourselves to just be quiet. Like that's the first step, right? And that's usually the hardest step to just Sit and be quiet. And I remember the when I first started doing this years and years ago, to be quiet for five minutes just felt like agony. Like, how was I going to get through that? Um, but we we need to take that step first. And there are a couple ways that we can quiet ourselves and turn our attention to God. Last week when we were here, I gave you the gift of contemplation 
So I gave you a few moments where you were invited to imagine the reality of God with us by picturing the resurrected Christ with us. And contemplation is usually defined as bringing our imagination to some kind of spiritual truth. Like, well, we know God is love. We know God is with us always. So we can begin to contemplate or imagine what that might look like for God to be with us in the room. That's contemplation. But today I want to give you guys a different way of quieting yourself, the gift of meditation. And Christian meditation is very different from Eastern forms of meditation. Um, it's, it's a focused meditation. It's a pondering. It's a turning over in your mind some attribute about God, some part of scripture, a word about God. And um, today, I'm going to give us the gift of meditation for a few minutes. And I'm going to read a few lines from David's psalm in Psalm 36. And I want you to spend a few minutes pondering them, turning them over in your head before God as a way of just opening yourself to how he might want to encounter you during this time. And I'm going to do you a favor by just reading it a couple times over the next few minutes. Um, But I invite you to close your eyes right now uh, and just prepare to just quiet your, your heart, your mind, and ponder these words. But your loyal love, Lord, extends to the skies. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. But your loyal love, Lord, extends to the skies. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Just allow yourself to begin to ponder those words. What does it mean that his love is so loyal, extends to the sky? What could that mean for your life, that God's faithfulness reaches the clouds? might it mean that his love is loyal to you? But your loyal love, Lord, extends to the skies. Your faithfulness reaches the clouds. Lord, we thank you for your loyal love. We thank you for your faithfulness, your nearness to us. Lord, I ask for each person in this room, for each person encountering this sermon online, 
that we would know your drawing, that we would know a desire and a craving to draw near to you and to drink from rivers of delight in your presence. Stir us, God, to draw near to you. Amen. Amen. So meditation is something that we can do to quiet ourselves. And I would just issue you a a homework assignment if you want to take it up to do this this week. You could do this with these verses or if God puts another verse on your heart or another word on your mind, you can sit, set a timer for five minutes, ponder it, um, and just allow yourself to be quiet in God's presence. And, And I truly believe that as we begin to be people who practice this over time, uh, as, we're, as we're diligent to open ourselves and make ourselves available, we will develop a history of knowing God, of knowing his love, of being refreshed. Amen. All right.